is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Mutita Panmuk, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist, who is as known as the Time Queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck Radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do other things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, get unstuck nation. So. Our guest today, co-founder of Eight Figure Firm Consulting, host of the Guts and Gory podcast, Louis Scott helps entrepreneurs maximize their greatness and build the company of their dreams. So, please welcome Louis Scott with me today, and those who are lawyers who are listening right now or aspiring to be a law firm owner or partners one day, stay tuned because this is something we are. Definitely going to cover today. So, hi, Luis. Thank you for joining Get Unstuck Radio. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to the talk. Yeah. Before we start, though, how you started your legal profession? Like, why you decided to um, pursue the law journey? Even one of the things that uh, my that I always tell people is that when I was uh, younger, my my dad used to say I was going to be a lawyer or a comedian, and Um, I decided I wanted to be a comedic lawyer, so I, I, I kind of turned to comedy in my legal profession. But on, on the serious note, I never thought I was smart enough to be a lawyer, and I think that that's probably one of the most inspiring things that I say when I talk to groups or I do speaking engagements. I didn't think I was smart enough, um, and some people may say, "Well, what, obviously you were because you became a lawyer," but um, I just didn't think that I had the ability to to read as much as you have to read and you know and comprehend. I just struggled a little bit with that. Uh, to some extent, and so uh, my lawyer j- journey was actually um, one that came out of like uh, out of almost chance. Uh, I had a a chance encounter with a professor in undergrad because going to law school here is after you get your bachelor's degree, and the professor was a judge, and the judge told me, you know, if you want to go to law school, you absolutely can. I'll give you an internship so you can learn more about the legal profession, and I was hooked, and I realized that I wanted to own a law firm, and so I I went into law school. With the desire to own a law firm uh, at the beginning, and so that—that's kind of how I got started. Was you know this uh, vision from from my dad saying that I was going to be a lawyer, and then a judge, you know, giving me the confidence to become one. And it's it's amazing how uh, that little spark of confidence can make such a difference in somebody somebody's life. Oh, you actually want to own a law firm since the beginning? Not even pursue the bars, not even go to that route at all. <laughs> that's totally <laughs> funny. No, I, I actually the the I went to law school and you have to you know you have to pass the bar to own a law firm here in, uh, oh, in Georgia. Okay, okay. And so we we you had to pass the bar, but I went to law school. I passed the bar, and my only thought from day one was how do I own uh, a law firm? Like that's the only thing I thought about. Oh wow, that's so cool! So definitely entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. Ah, so have you ever like? On any other business before? Yeah, I've owned and failed at a lot of different businesses uh, before, and I, I can go. You know, I, I owned a 
a, a multivitamin company where I did like uh, person to person sales. And then I tried to own a different multivitamin company where we did online sales. Um, didn't, didn't work out either. I owned um, a, a penny auction website. Um, I owned a news, uh, a news aggregator site. Um, I, I, I then uh, uh, started a barber shop. Um, I've started two different law firms, uh, have a consulting business. So I, I've done a lot of different things over the years. So how do you think that the like for someone who never know before, like how the law firm structure differently from other business? I mean, I think that I think in, in, in uh, the law firm structure is similar to most service based businesses, right? You have the technicians and then you have the general staff who support the technicians. In most, whether that's a, a let's just say um, a plumbing business, an electrical business, an accounting firm, you know, if you if you go from blue collar to white collar, there's different types of service based businesses. But every one of them uh, exists because there are technicians who do the work, and then there are support staff who support them in the work. And that support staff is your marketing, your sales, you know, your administrative workers, etc. And so it, law firms are set up in a similar way. We have a marketing department, a sales department, we have an onboarding, what we call intake department. Uh, and then we have a production team that helps the lawyers. And then you have the lawyers who are the technicians who are doing um, the work. And I don't say that in an, an offensive way, but they do the legal work, right? So they're the legal production. And so that's how a law firm is generally set set up. And the the better you can structure that law firm, the the more scalable it becomes. And then also the the less work that you have to do as an owner of the firm, which is which was my goal after I started the law firm. So the minimum team members that you have to have at the beginning approximately how many people you just mentioned i mean at the at, well if you're talking about developing a structure um you would need to have about six people uh at the, at the beginning but i started my firm with just me i was a sales i was the marketing uh i was doing all the networking i was doing the legal work i was doing the admin work and i was even taking out the trash like i you know i would every day every week there was trash day and And so I had to I had to take the the little trash bin out to the uh, out to the road for trash, and uh, I didn't have a cleaning department, so I scrubbed the toilets as well. I did everything at the beginning. In that case, so thinking about law firm having an office space, right, mm-hmm. and also having a co office space. Right now, having an office space still important. I mean, it depends on who you ask. You know, one of the things that mm. I tell people is I'm not super ideological about this this issue. I always look at it from an analytical perspective and from a data driven perspective, and that is, what is going to get the best out of the people that work for you, and what is what is going to drive revenue per employee. And and w- what I've done is now working with 120 law firms nationwide. What I've found is there's a big spectrum. On on one end of the spectrum is people who are 100% virtual who don't have any office space, don't have a core headquarters, and then on the other spectrum. There are people who have 100% in office and don't have any virtual work, and there's going to be pros and cons to each one, right? And, and one of the one of the cons that people are are citing for having a fully in office uh, uh, workforce is that you can't be competitive in the in the employment space because people want virtual work and et cetera, or whatever it is. That doesn't negate the fact that when we've looked at 120 law firms and we've mapped them on this continuum, the majorities of the law firms that are on the 100% virtual space. Tend to have less revenue per employee, and the majority of the law firms that have most of their people in the office tend to have the highest revenue per employee. Now, there are some outliers. There are some completely virtual uh, firms that have higher revenue per employee, and then there's some completely in-office firms that have low inefficiency and have lower revenue per employee. But if you looked at it on on an entire 
uh, spreadsheet, you would see virtual firms with lower revenue per employee, non-virtual firms with higher revenue per employee, and then the hybrid firm somewhere in the middle. And the question that I always tell people is that you have to ask what kind of law firm, what kind of business you want to have. It's all about what you want to have. If you want to have a virtual firm, regardless of what the revenue per employee is, do it. If you want to have an all-in-office firm, regardless of, of, of the, the difficulty in hiring people, do it. It's, you know, we can build a business that we want individually. Like no, nobody uh, should tell you what kind of business you should build, but we shouldn't deny facts. And that's, I think, something that gets lost in this conversation is we can discuss the ideology of virtual, non-virtual, and hybrid, but what, what we can't do is deny facts. And the facts generally support that people in office are gonna perform better. And it's no different than going to the gym uh, very few people perform working out at their home with a virtual trainer better than working in a gym with a trainer that's there. Very mm -hmm. few people. Is that also related to the specializing of the law firm as well? I mean, I think that if the question is, is a specialized law firm um, going to have uh, going to impact. impact. I mean, I, yeah, I think anything impacts, obviously. This is one of the reasons why I say it's on a continuum, right? It's like, mm -hmm. there are some virtual firms that are pretty high up there. I mean, they, they've done a, because they're specialized, they found really great people who are virtual and, and who, and, and they found people who are accountable, bought into the vision, who believe in what they're doing. And I think that that's uh, very important when you're building your business is to have a vision and mission that people really believe in and that they want to come to work for you. And I, and I, and I do think, you know, yesterday I got a text message from one of my employees who was saying that, you know, they just wanted to let me know that they really believe in what we're building and what we're doing. And it's, it excites them every morning. Like when you have people like that, you don't have to have them in the office because they, they have full belief. The, but again, the facts are that most people don't have that belief because most people go to work just to get money, not, not mm. because they, they, they're fighting for a cause. Mm, 100%. And that's scary, though, to have them <laughs> on the office every day, not knowing what they think that way. Yeah, I mean, it's, but the thing is that whether they're in the office or they're, or they're virtual or wherever they are, you need them and you're never gonna know uh, really what their intentions are. And, and what I have found, I, I'm not the type of person that believes that people are only in it for the money. I, I would never say that. I think people are truly hungry for a place where they find purpose and belonging. But the majority of people who don't even know what they want for their own life, how are they gonna be bought into something that you, that you want? Uh, you know, how is somebody gonna subscribe to my vision? How are they going to be, be bought in or believe in my vision when they don't even know what they want for their own life? And that's mm -hmm. a, a lot of people, unfortunately, are in that area. I mean, there was a book that came out probably 20 years ago called A Purpose Driven Life, and it became an international bestseller, 100 million copies sold, because people truly just do not know what they want out of life. Mm. And how is your dream companies look like? Is that is the one that you are working in it on it right now? Is is that my dream company? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, I feel the, the the most fulfillment working in a business where I'm making the biggest impact. And it's one of those things that that you have to really ask yourself is where do I feel the most energized? Where do I make the most impact? And move in that direction. And I think a lot of times what we do is we feel energized and in, in, we feel the impact in a certain place, but because we have fear, doubt, you know, uh, imposter syndrome, we don't move in that direction. And I think that what I've done really well is I've, I've just made the decision, like I'm only gonna do things that fulfill me because I'm at a point in my life where uh, anything that doesn't fulfill me is, it doesn't bring any value to my life. And so I spend a lot of time asking the question, what fulfills me? What do I want out of life? 
and really focusing on that. And that's where I am today. You know, being a speaker and an author is probably my, my, my greatest joy. And then also being, you know, a consultant where I can help people uh, change their life and their legacy and the, and the legacy of the, the communities that they serve. To me, that just brings me the greatest joy. Mm. So going back to the time that you get to intern and got hooked up with the, the, the law degree, um, mm. in case anyone who's still a law student and they are like, okay, get an internship of like summer internship or something, how they should like have a mindset preparing them during the internship if they also want to be a law firm owner one day? So one of the things that if you want to be a law firm owner, don't get an internship at a big law firm because the big law firms, all they're looking for is your, uh, your, your, the school that you went to and what your grades are. And it doesn't really fundamentally say anything about who the individual is. So if you, if you want to start a law firm, go to a small firm, go to a firm with, you know, 15, 20 employees, 25 employees and lend a hand in the non-legal things, go in there as a, as a first year, second year student, and then, and then say, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. Do I need to write motions or uh, do discovery? Do I need to just sit around and watch? Can I sit in a deposition? Can I sit in, in a mediation? You know, can I go to court with someone like really make the, the summer about learning and also uh, show your show initiative, which is a, a big thing. I think a lot of times people go to these internships and we've had, we, we usually hire about three interns every single year. And it's amazing the the disparity in in their work ethic like you'll have one who is just always there on time uh always there extra working with everyone getting to know everyone really learning about them and then you have one who like shows up late casually and then is not really paying attention and doesn't do anything and doesn't offer any help and so i think if you want to uh, have an internship where you are going to eventually own a law firm you should go to a smaller law firm so you can see how it runs because when you start your law firm it's going to be small so might as well go to a firm that that will look similar to what you're going to be starting and after graduated should they start at a law firm right away or they should work <laughs> for other law firms first i mean it depends on it depends on 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 how much uh how hungry you are and by that i mean like physical uh, physically hungry because when you start your law firm right away you may not make money right away it's a, it's it could be a very big challenge especially if you don't know how to generate business I've had a couple of friends who started their law firm right out of law school and they're doing amazing 10 years later and they're, they're thriving. And, uh, but they'll tell you it was hard. They were, you know, they were running their firm out of their, their parents' basement and they were eating ramen and it was, you know, here they are as a lawyer trying to sell you to pay them $10,000. And meanwhile, they're not, they're, they're living off their parents, you know, uh, basement. And so it's very challenging. I, I think that whether you start a law firm right out of school or if you start a law firm, let's say uh, after working for someone, it depends on your pain tolerance and on your ability to sell. Uh, when I went out on my own, I had already been in the legal industry for 15 years. And so uh, I, I already knew kind of the space and, and I knew how to practice law and I knew how to market and get clients. So it wasn't nearly as scary. And so I think it just depends, depends on your pain tolerance, your risk tolerance, how much you're willing to endure um, because it is difficult to start your firm. It's not one of those things where you just open up a, a, the door and people just start flooding in. I mean, it takes work. And it, if it didn't take work, then everybody would do it. And so I think that if you want to start right out of law school, you need to prepare yourself on how to generate business. Mm. So you mentioned that you started as one person, but mm -hmm. since when you started to have help or like have someone working with you along the way? 
so I was a, I was one of those people that I, I knew how to generate business. And so in my first month of business, I generated over 20 new clients and um, I had to hire somebody immediately. By my sixth month in business, I already had six employees uh, because it was, I mean, I just had so many cases coming in. I had over a hundred people hired me in that time period. And so uh, it, it all depends on how many, uh, how many clients you have. The more clients you have, the quicker you need to hire people to help you. Because obviously if you do it all, you're going to burn out. And how you prioritize the hiring position then? So, you know, one of the strategies that I tell people about uh, hiring is, is that you hire based on need and you hire based on availability. Now, this is very um, different than what I tell people when they're working with me as a consultant, where I say develop a hiring plan and figure out when you're going to need them and what's the salary and what month and when should you be, you know, how many weeks do you need before you hire them? And then how many source, you know, recruits do you need to have to source them? And so forth. You do that in an established business, but when you're when you're growing your business at the beginning, you don't have that luxury. You don't have the money. You don't have the time. And so, what you do is you say, "I need the following one, two, three, four, five positions. The first one that becomes available, I'm going to hire them. If I need a legal assistant and a receptionist, and the legal assistant comes first, I hire them first. If the reception comes first, I hire them first. And so, you prioritize based on need and availability. And and so, we can't hire something that's not available. And I think a lot of times people go, I need a legal assistant. I need a legal assistant. I need a legal assistant. And they're so desperate for the legal assistant, they forget that they also need a lawyer and a receptionist and a salesperson. And then the, the viable salesperson, lawyer, receptionist who was on the table ready for you, you don't offer them a job because you need a legal assistant. And so I think that it's, it's a matter of, uh, of figuring out both how, what is the need that I have and then what is the availability to fulfill that need and you go in that direction. Mm, if that happened at the same time, it could be right good headache no not a good headache but could be messy somehow because it's gonna be everywhere <laughs> in, the, well, in the early stages for sure i mean in the early stages you're, you're you're probably not hiring very systematically because you don't have that luxury um you know for us today we hire systematically we go we need two legal assistants in january we go ahead and start pre preparing ourselves to hire two legal assistants but we also have hundreds of employees so it's easy to do that but when you're starting off you don't really have that luxury mm, unless you limit the case that you accept right well you could do that but then you're not growing I mean, if you're limiting that so I, uh -huh. I you know i teach people how to scale so i want people to, to grow as fast as possible so that they can hire as many people as possible so that they can create a business that's systematized ah so you're not going to cap at some point to create a system but you encourage them to like keep stretching the stretching point and I then think, growing along the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you can you can um, take a break. We call that the rest period. After about three years of really scaling, you probably need a six month break just for your own sanity, and so you don't overwhelm yourself. But no, I tell people, you know, you you this this process of scaling and growing your business is like fixing your car while it's it's driving down the highway. Like that's that's how it works. Yeah, keep accelerating. Like just. Just keep it that. Don't push the brake on. <laughs> That's right. Ah. So, okay, let's come back to during those three years then. Yeah, that's interesting. And if someone that you recruit based on the needs, mm -hmm. they're not a good fit, how they keep the pipeline, you know? That, that also something that I bet that many people are struggling with. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely terrible judges of character and talent. And that's one of the things that I think you have to get really good at. I, I uh, one, of the, one of the things that I'm the most proud of is that I have spent a tremendous amount of time studying the behaviors of people and studying what behaviors lead people 
to uh, actually being good fits. And so in my first year, um, I, you know, I hired six. And when I, when I joined with my business partner and we really grew our firm, I hired 80 people in a year. And a lot of those people stayed more than two years uh, because I was a very good judge of character and talent and skill. And I think that there's nothing I could say today that would help a person necessarily be good at that. You have to study people. How do people behave? What are the behaviors in an interview that you're looking for? Uh, what are the behaviors? What are the character qualities that you're looking for? What are the skill set qualities that you're looking for? And so I think that if you have a need and you want to hire that need and you want to make sure that you're successful in hiring that need, you have to do a really, really good job of understanding people and figuring them out before you you hire them. And if you do that, you're going to be more successful. One of the things that, I, you know, in eight figure firm consulting, um, we have, a I don't know, 12, 14 people. And most of them are, have been with us for over a year. Like we hire people and they stay. Uh, in fact, a lot of times they stay longer than, than we need them to stay because they never quit. <laughs> it's really, really challenging. And so sometimes we need somebody to quit um, and we have to, we have to help them along the way. But the, the reality is that if you are good at analyzing people, you will be good at hiring people. What about clients then? Do you vet the clients as well? I think in the, in the law firm, uh, it depends on the practice area that you have. But you should vet your clients. If your clients don't meet the core values or if they're going to be a, a strain on the service standards, like uh, I'll give you an example. One of the service standards that we created was that there was a no voicemail policy and you had to respond to emails within 24 hours. Well, imagine a client who, who calls you 10 times a day and there's no voicemail policy. That's a strain on your service standard. When, when you think about those kind of clients, you really want to stay away from those. And, and they show themselves early on in, in the in the in the uh, intake process, you will know ba based on how demanding they are uh, for your services. You know, I had a, I had a client, uh, not, he, they didn't actually become a client, but prior to being a client, they talked to my sales team and uh, the sales team was like, well, I don't think that you're like fit for this business because you know, you don't have revenues of a million and we really are looking for law firms of revenue of a million. This client, sent me a direct message was angry how dare you turn away people and how dare you tell me that i'm not a good fit and how dare you you do this you know and it's like man i can already tell that this is going to be a terrible client because like they're already complaining and they're not even a good fit for us and so they show you their cards early on and you just want to make sure that that you are vetting clients so that you don't have a strain on your service standards what about cyber security mm -hmm. I mean, cybersecurity is really important, especially today in the VA world where people are working internationally for you. And I think that a lot of people don't put a lot, you know, much emphasis on it. We've gotten really, um, you know, more serious about it recently. And what some of the things we've done is, you know, two-factor authentication, hiring a, a cyber audit and, you know, getting cyber insurance. Because one of the things that, that we learned from our, our cyber team was uh, cybersecurity is a, is a series of different decisions that you make to protect yourself. It is not a wall. You can't like create a wall where nobody can get around. It's like you can create multiple things. You can create a wall and, and, and barbed wire and then an underground detection system. And, a, and then you can create a, you know, a, a satellite system and you, you can create all kinds of things to prevent uh, cyber attacks. But there's always somebody trying to uh, overcome everything that you try to prevent. Mm, and they will find what is the next obstacle for them. That's right. To get in. And remove the weakest, the, the weak, the weak link. And the bigger your company is, the more that they want to attack you. Yeah, because and all the clients is all sensitive things. <laughs> yeah, and they, 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 it's there's a higher upside. You know, one of the things that um, recently we, we we were 
contemplating was this idea of people would want to come and steal all these identities and it's like i mean maybe but but they could steal identities doing all kinds of other things you know why why come and try to steal the identity of two thousand of our clients when they can go to wells fargo and steal the identity of 70 million people like there's there's bigger fish out there that they would go after and so uh if the if the prize is too small and the difficulty is 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 big they're probably not going to come after you and so the, the key is to have obstacles big enough based upon the size of the threat mm. so what about paperless are you Are you promoting paperless or because law firm, you know, is so hard to do like that? But what about your policy over there? So I came from a firm where every single file was um, in paper, and we would have these storage facilities for all these files because we had hundreds and hundreds of files. Our firm today has four thousand files. Can you imagine the storage unit for that? So, yeah, we have a. Uh, if you have four thousand files, and each file had. A hundred pages. Um, that would be what four hundred thousand pages of of paper in our in our business. So yeah, we went paperless many years ago, and every every paper we don't need, we shred. And what we found is most of the times the the paper we we don't need it. And so when we get it in, we shred it. Yeah, because I think my previous workplace they went paperless, and it's a crazy transformation that like. The scanning time of mm -hmm. every document and also uh, numbering it is crazy, but it has to do. It's less space than storage, right? So if you you know for four thousand files, you'd need I don't know five thousand square feet. If you think about the cost of that, just to store yeah. files, you could just hire people to, yeah, to do exactly. the work. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but it's crazy because like hard copy, but yeah. Because law firm, you're not gonna keep original anyway. You're gonna keep copy, and it's another copy as well. Oh, yeah. Crazy. But this day to the court or anything, they can do digital signing, right? Almost anything can be done digitally, and that's a, that's mm -hmm. the the beauty of like a lot of these systems is now you can actually submit papers digitally. Papers with signature can be accepted digitally, so it's like not even there's not even a requirement that that people um, submit. What we call a, a wet signature—that's like not even a requirement anymore. And so, you don't even you don't even need the uh, yeah. you know the original. Let's talk about productivity and time management within the law firm. You know, mm -hmm. like when we have more people, but we have the same time every day. Mm -hmm. So, the management team within the law firm, like how I I see my friends. So I myself not working in the law firm and. I didn't intern in the law firm. Even I interned in the academic part of the legal. So mm -hmm. I don't want really to practice law. In that case, mm -hmm. I want to pursue international more. So that is another route that I prefer. Um, but my friends, they would be very busy at certain time in the year, mm -hmm. and they would have no time. I mean, like totally free time available at certain times. That's what I have seen in Thailand mm -hmm. at least. But for the partner and like the higher management level, it seems to be that they're busy all the time, even on the weekends. Like I don't see they stop handle their phone. Well, one of the one of the problems that a lot of um, high octane lawyers have is that they're workaholics. But I don't think that as a business owner that that's even necessary. I think that you could build a business where it functions without you, and you could mm -hmm. really reduce the amount of time that you're spending. Uh, working and and that was something that I was really proud of is that as I was 
building my team, I was working less and less and less, which allowed me to start a figure firm consulting, which was one of the reasons why I was able to start it. And so I think that when you see people who are rising in the ranks and they're building more, they're probably very bad at delegating um, or they're, they're workaholics. And so I, I always tell people just, if you find yourself more overwhelmed, the bigger your business gets, you're, it's probably you're the problem. <laughs> you should be delegating more and you should stop being a workaholic and you'll find that you have free time. So you have to start saying let go more. You have to say no to a lot of things, exactly. Mm. Is that important that do you need to see yourself? How do you want to position yourself in a law firm as a leader of the firm, like owner? Like how do you want really to act in your own firm as the end yeah. I mean, the thing is, everything's about vision and visualization. And so whatever you want your life to be like, you have to visualize it and you have to create a vision around it. And that includes your work life, your vacation time, the amount of hours you're going to dedicate to anything. It needs to all be incorporated in, in your life. And so I think it's really, really important that you set up the life that you want when you're when you're an entrepreneur and i think that a lot of people have a difficult time with this because they see social media that says you know that they should be grinding 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 and yes you should grind in the early years but you should eventually be grinding yourself into a position where you don't have to grind because you shouldn't have to grind for the rest of your life 100 you shouldn't mm -hmm. yeah you should have a goal that you already works towards that and you hit it mm -hmm. so Do you think how the dynamic of like the scaled law firm should look like on day to day? Like how the dynamic would like the momentum would look like normally fast paced or actually system? I mean, I mean it, it depends on what kind of firm you're building. If you have a, if you have a, if you're building a firm that's growing five, 10% a year, it's not going to be very fast paced. It's going to be routine, monotonous kind of work over and over again. But if you're trying to build your business, that's growing like some of my clients, 50, 60, 70, 80%. It's going to be fast paced. There's going to be a lot of chaos. There's going to be a lot of disruption. There's going to be a lot of change and you just have to be able to focus on that. So the, the, the day to day of any business, whether it's a law firm or anything else, is highly dependent on the scale of its growth. And so the, the more the, the business is growing or the faster the business is growing, the more I would say chaotic the business is. So what are the key that we should focus when we prepare for scaling then? I mean, as an owner, the only thing you should be focused on is marketing and sales, marketing and sales. That's all that matters. That's the lifeblood of the business. You should be focused on getting business, keeping business, selling business, getting business, selling business, keeping business. That, that if you focus on that, you're going to have, you'll figure everything else out. But for at least the first three years. Yeah. Or even more, even more. I mean, if you have clients, you can figure out everything else out. If you have no clients, there's nothing to figure out. Yeah. Of course, because you have nothing to work on. That's right. What about the company culture? Because right now, okay, we are at the point where we have team, we have clients. So what are the company cultures that you think every uh, law firm should have? You know, company culture is a very tricky thing because it, depending on who you talk to, uh, they will tell you that they want their company culture different. Some people want their company culture to be a family. Some people want their company culture to be a team. Some people want their company culture to be this, you know, uh, uh, obsessive improvement uh, at all costs. Some people want their company culture to be a growing culture. So, be, so everybody wants a different company culture. The, the, the culture that works best for you is dependent on your goals. And you know, for me, my goals—I'm a family man, so I like—I like seeing my 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 wife and kids. I like being at home. I like going, having a social life. I one of the the, the things that I take the most pride in is that I have a lot of friends. 
I like being available and accessible to my friends. Like, and so I want a, a company culture that reflects that. You know, I have some employees, they travel like a lot, like 10 times, 15 times a year. That's the culture that I want. And that's the culture that suits me because when I take vacation, um, I don't want anybody to worry about my vacations because I don't worry about yours. So you shouldn't worry about mine. You know, my EA just recently took a two week vacation to Europe. And the only time I, I messaged her was to, you know, I see how she was doing and how was the trip and what's your favorite part and so forth. So like that's, that's the country, company culture is always about the kind of lifestyle that you want. And some people want a company culture that is, um, you know, hardcore, you know, Elon Musk said, if you're going to work for me, ex expect to work long hours. Like that's the company culture he wants. I don't want that company culture. So it's all about you. Mm -hmm. So in case anyone want to start a, a law firm and also scaling a law firm, where can they work with you or find you then? Yeah. If you want to uh, learn more about what we do, uh, Luis Scott junior.com l-u-i-s-s-c-o-t-t-j-r.com they can find all my links to social media my videos uh, a lot of my, my content i give out a lot of free content and they can also uh reach me uh, uh there as it relates to my books and uh as it relates to a figure from consulting as well thank you so much Liz scott for joining can stack radio today thanks for having me Hope this episode inspired you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey so that you can have your business that support your lifestyle. Get a show notes at helpyougetunstuck.com today. Start implementing what you have learned. The results of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it because you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time and don't forget to get unstuck.